Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another very dramatic episode of Ignite Radio Live. Over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio, you are with Greg and Stephanie Schleter and a very dear friend and special guest, Jeff Barefoot. Folks, we are sticking with the theme three weeks in a row, Roots of Revival. And you hear the song in the background, we could have a dirge, we could have downcast music, and it would be entirely appropriate, folks. We are at the cross. We're at the cross with our Savior. We are at the place where every Mass in the world takes place, the one sacrifice of Jesus for the redemption of the world for all of us. However, built into that are the seeds of revival, are the seeds of resurrection. And we see in this uh, culture, we've got to address it as we spoke of the, uh, the Stockdale paradox. We have to have a lively hope of a positive outcome, but we've got to deal with the brutal, brutal facts. And so if you want to go to our website, IgniteRadioLive.com, you'll see part one with Peter Herbeck and last week, part two with Eric Sammons. Very blessed to have Jeff Barefoot tonight. I want to read from you Psalm 1, which has been in the divine office, seemingly on the days where significant new revelations have taken place over the past couple days and weeks. And it struck me, Psalm 1, just the top of it, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of, of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. At the end of this, Psalm 1, verse 6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Folks, I also want to read for you. I feel God is registering, by the way, with all the wonderful words and challenging words that are out there. God is weighing in with that Psalm 1. And I think he also weighs in with the beginning of the Gospel of John. I want us to listen to this. This This is the Word of God. This is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. Amen. Folks, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So keeping it real, we're dealing with darkness. We're dealing with the need to expose the darkness, and we'll discuss tonight how this is a key issue. We can't pretend that there's not darkness, because many of us, it's not just, if you will, the Pope and the hierarchy and bishops and clergy. It is marriages and families. It is our own souls that have, if you will, levels of darkness in it, that we're, we're beckoning that light to shine into it. So ultimately what I think is happening here, the roots of revival are an awakening to receive the light of Christ, to look honestly and candidly into what God illuminates in our soul, not just so we can, you know, have our heads down, but so we can repent and turn to Christ. And we thought a, a wonderful person to share this with us tonight would be Jeff in his own journey. And I'm just going to set it up here. Uh, obviously, Ephesians 5, the second reading on Sunday. Jesus talks about his bride, the church, and he talks about marriage, husband and wife, as an icon, an image of that. And we're going to hear both levels tonight through our brother Jeff in his story. 
And we're going to hear, hopefully, some insight into perhaps what might be forgotten in the crisis. And again, this crisis has existed. We're just seeing it exposed now. That's what all the wonderful bishops and testimonies are saying right now. This is a positive thing, to open the doors wide and to look at the darkness that the light can shine on it. And we've been maybe avoiding a crisis in the church for a number of decades now about the nature of marriage as iconic of the Trinity and how a lot of that has happened in the name of the church, folks, in the name of Jesus. So um, just to kind of set the stage a little more, though, um, we do want to read, and I want to read right now, a little bit of the testimony that came out uh, August 22nd, so six days ago, by His Excellency Carlo Maria Vigliano, the Archbishop of uh, Apostolic Nuncio. Anyways, his paragraph that really, I think, informs us all. Please listen to this. It's, it's in this letter. To restore the beauty of holiness to the face of the Bride of Christ which is terribly disfigured by so many abominable crimes. And if we truly want to free the church from the fetid swamp into which she has fallen, we must have the courage to tear down the culture of secrecy and publicly confess the truths we have kept hidden. We must tear down the conspiracy of silence with which bishops and priests have protected themselves at the expense of their faithful a conspiracy of silence that in the eyes of the world risks making the church look like a sect, a conspiracy of silence not so dissimilar from the one that prevails in the mafia. He quotes Luke, Whatever you have said in the dark shall be proclaimed from the housetops. In this same letter, he says, At the Angelus on Sunday, August 12, 2018, Pope Francis said these words, Everyone is guilty for the good he could have done and did not do. If we do not oppose evil, we tacitly feed it. We need to intervene where evil is spreading, for evil spreads where daring Christians who oppose evil with good are lacking. Vignano goes on to say, If this is rightly to be considered a serious moral responsibility for every believer, how much graver is it for the church Church's supreme pastor, who in the case of McCarrick, not only did not oppose evil, but associated himself in doing evil with someone he knew to be deeply corrupt. He followed the advice of someone he knew well to be a pervert, thus multiplying exponentially with his supreme authority the evil done by McCarrick. And how many other evil pastors is Francis still continuing to prop up in their active destruction of the church? Francis is abdicating the mandate which Christ gave to Peter to confirm the brethren. Indeed, by his action, he has divided them, led them into error, and encouraged the wolves to continue to tear apart the sheep of Christ's flock. Finally, in this extremely dramatic moment for the universal church, he must acknowledge his mistakes and, in keeping with the proclaimed principle of zero tolerance, Pope Francis must be the first to set a good example for cardinals and bishops who covered up McCarrick's abuses and resign along with all of them, unquote. Now, folks, I need to say this letter is allegations. Many bishops who are close to him, some that I know quite well, have a high regard for him, say he needs to be taken very seriously. But as a church of mercy and authenticity, we are all strongly advised, first of all, to look in the mirror, you know. 87% of those who go to church, for instance, are contracepting. That is equally mortal sin. Equally mortal sin. You know, you may say there's differences in degrees, yes, but whether you get shot in the head or drive off a cliff, you're still going to die. They're both mortal sins. We need to look in the mirror and recognize that 
God is opening up the door for all of us to recognize the path to eternal life. That's number one, that we are opening the door and seeking the grace to live this. These truths are not easy to live. And all of us, when we find ourselves in a place of vulnerability, ought to recognize God's power is there. God didn't come for the saved. He came for the lost. So in this letter, I just want to proclaim and make it clear, we are not presuming this to be true, but it merits our serious consideration. And that's what the bishops are asking of us, that this merits not resignation, but uh, investigating investigation. these allegations. Investigation. Yes. But it merits our, 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 our serious uh, cause for evaluation along the lines of the first paragraph that he said, and that is to look at the darkness. So, Jeff, we're delighted to have you, brother in Christ. We'll talk a little more about the Ephesians 5, if you will, parallel there. But what are your thoughts? What have you been thinking as a convert to the Catholic faith? You've been on Marcus Grody's show. You've uh, spoken at a number of Ignites for us. You recently addressed the Catholic Network um, with your own personal story. I, I find you as a very thoughtful, respectful, virtuous brother in Christ who brings a lot of wisdom and insight. And I must say, Jeff, in a particular way, I admire your courage and your willingness to, um, to, let's just say it, venture onto waters that are kind of uncertain. Mm. But we have to, nonetheless, with tact and with virtue, address them. And I, I very much admire your willingness to go there in a studied way. So I just want to ask you, from what is happening and what I read, what thoughts are in your mind? Give us your perspective. Well, Greg and Stephanie, thank you for having me. It's always um, a great joy and very humbling to be with you and to speak um, to the listeners who are my brothers and sisters in Christ, especially to those listeners who may not know Christ, may not know the Catholic Church the Mm -hmm. way we do. So I welcome them with open hearts and great love in the name of our Lord. Um, The last time I was a guest on your radio show, we talked about the prophetic times we were living in Mm -hmm. and what was coming down in the persecution of the church. I think that was about a year and a half, maybe two Mm -hmm. years ago. And I opened with this quote from the then um, Cardinal Wotia in his first trip to the United States in 1976, who then would become not only Pope John Paul II, Mm -hmm. but later the great saint. Saint. And I quote, We are now standing in the face of the greatest historical confrontation humanity has ever gone through. I do not think that wide circles of American society or wide circles of the Christian community realize this fully. We are now facing the final confrontation between the church and the anti-church of the gospel versus the anti-gospel. We must be prepared to undergo great trials in the not-too-distant future, trials that will require us to be ready to give up even our lives and a total gift of self to Christ mm-hmm. and for Christ. Through your prayers and mine, it is possible to alleviate this tribulation, but it is no longer possible to avert it. How many times has the renewal of the church been brought about in blood? It will not be different this time. Mm-hmm. So this is Bicentennial mm-hmm. Talk wow. back in 1976. Mm-hmm. Um, on this morning, one of the radio shows this morning, this was Ralph Martin quoted this yes. again. Yes. And I think there's a couple things that strike me. First of all, we are born with great joy um, into this time to bear witness to the truth Mm -hmm. that God in his love became man uh, to bring us home to his heart at the cost of his agony on the cross and to open the channels of love between us 
as brothers and sisters, as husbands and wives, as priests and penitents. And Hebrews says that the faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the Mm. convictions of things not seen. We need to remember uh, when we're looking in bewilderment at the church, we need to remember Mary at the cross. Mary was told at the Annunciation that she was going to be the one who was going to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah and the prophecy in Genesis. She was going to carry the Messiah into flesh to redeem her people. And the throne of David would never leave him. And she finds herself 33 years with her son brutally beaten and tortured Mm. as a piece of hamburger on a cross. How does she deal with that truth that she was told and what her eyes are seeing? Mm -hmm. And what are we seeing now? Our truth is, uh, our church is true. Jesus Christ founded the church on Peter in Matthew 16, 18, which is why I came into the church. It is the only place to be. And his promises, though we can't see them right now, they seem clouded and twisted and deformed. His promises are sure and true. And we're born to be part of this movement, to speak that truth and to assure one another that the truth will not die. Mm -hmm. I think other, it's the homosexual problem. And let's get really clear here. You can't solve problems by not, by parsing your words. You Mm -hmm. can't call this a child abuse problem. You can't call this a uh, sexual abuse problem. We know from the John Jay report, and we know from the problems with McCarrick, this is a homosexual, abusive, raping culture that has been exposed from 2002 to today. Let's call it what it is. And anything short of that already discredits the person who's speaking. Unless you call it what it is, you're not dealing in truth. You're dealing in shadows. So, but it's deeper than just the homosexual problem. It's the whole problem of the sexual revolution. Mm. Um, I was born in 1952. I remember living in a world before the sexual revolution began. I remember marriages that were intact, and I remember not being assaulted uh, sexually every single day of your life with the visual images that began to unravel in the 1970s forward. Mm. So I come from a place where I remember a culture that was more pure, not perfect, but more pure. And so it's it's not just homosexuality, it's pornography, it's promiscuity, it's it's um, it's the entire culture, and that leads down into marriage that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about some of the personal things mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that I've had to fight for. Um, and the goal of Satan here is is to turn the twist the truth. It's born of the pit of hell, and his goal is to destroy the happiness and the joy of every man, woman, child, priest, and bishop, and religious in the world, and to begin first in the heart of the Catholic Church. And to, and to not only rob them of their happiness, but to turn them in hatred and manipulation against one another. His greatest delight is to see brothers and sisters hate one another and marriages fall apart and priests and bishops turn on enemies on each other. Mm. That's his great strategy. Third, to find, really to find freedom. We're trying to find, all of us, we're trying to find 
the truth ourselves. We're trying to find how do we live this Christian life and to truly love our neighbor, to truly love our family members, to truly love our spouses, and to love our enemies. Mm-hmm. And how do we truly live the life of Christ? And we find our hope only in the life of the church. And more importantly, we find our life in the total freedom of the cross. Um, our life quest is not so much asking, Father, what would you have me do with my life? But Lord, make clear my cross and give me that love you had for your cross, mm. that I may love my cross, that I might kiss as you did. I might kiss my cross, venerate it, and thank you for helping me carry it. And I find my freedom only in following in the blood-soaked footsteps to my own death and my own final judgment. That's my freedom. Um, And we'll talk more about that. Jeff, thank you for that uh, intro. And we could talk, I know, a lot about the themes that are taking place. And it seems every new moment is something new. But one thing that strikes me, Jeff, is that the portrait you paint of a former time that that was less pornographic, if you will, less uh, addictive, um, less uh, making promises it can't keep. Most people younger than me don't know of that age. Um, they've been drinking the Kool-Aid and it's been in the water and they've become accustomed to it. And now that dopamine drug dealer is in most of our pockets mm. and people carry it around. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder if to some extent part of the issue isn't that people is that people don't have a vision for how it could be. I mean, how many have a vision, if you will, of a godly, I think we all have a good vision of a godly priest. We all know godly priests and godly bishops, but godly marriages, godly relationships, godly courtships. Mm-hmm. I mean, when 90% plus of those who are getting married are already living together, have already been sexually active, already on average have had four, five, six different sexual partners, and we know the implications of that, for their imaginations and their souls, that that, uh, that that which was meant to bond them together neurologically, spiritually, in every way, has, has uh, been deeply um, wounded and broken. And, and then to kind of fight through all of that, and, and I guess here's, here's a piece, too, that, that um, we can't deal with it because the, it's been framed as we don't want to shame people. And truthfully, um, maybe there have been occasions where people have, so to speak, been the battering ram, the self-righteous, indignant stereotype. Now, I, I in my life, truthfully, have, in 50 years, have never experienced such a type ever. In mm. all the times of going to church or hearing talks, I've never heard the indignant battering ram speak of things. Um, but I do think one thing we're seeing here is an honesty in saying, can we look at the distance, at the mark, first of all, of sainthood, at the mark of that fulfillment that God desires us to have, to look at it, look where we're at in the distance, far away, and recognize the church is there to get us there. Right. And that's what this is really all about, yeah. is to speak the truth with love, to acknowledge that distance, to stare at it without, you know, worry, if you will, of the shame. Shame is the beginning of that process of repentance and conversion. So anyways, I'm just saying to any of our listeners out there, those of you who are Catholic, those of you who aren't Catholic, that many of us do not have uh, a sense of the, the abundant life that God desires us to have. And this is opening the door to perhaps consider it, because all of this truth as the, uh, you know, the Ten Commandments man said, who is the producer of the Ten Commandments, uh, but he was giving a talk, and he said, we can't so much break the Ten Commandments. We can only break ourselves against it. 
mm. a very profound truth. Mm. So um, with all of that in mind, um, Jeff, you navigated this journey, uh, I think, in a very direct way. Why don't you share with us, um, in a particular way, how you, if you will, fell in love with the Catholic Church, connected to your understanding of marriage mm-hmm. and the struggle and the battles you faced, and then coming new into the church, how you maybe directly experienced some of the real anguish of maybe hoping that that church, that is uh, the revelation of Christ and God, if you will, in its institutional broken form, let you down. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, help us understand today with the hope that maybe all of us might more fully understand God's design and plan. Yeah. Well, um, f- first, I, I thank you for having me here. And uh, you've asked me for several years uh, if I would speak on this, and I've been reluctant uh, because part of my story involves some things I'm not um, proud of and having to come to grips with uh, telling part of my story also means that I have to um, be cautious that I don't drag um, people that I still very much care about, don't drag them through the mud mm-hmm. and any more than I want my sins printed on the um, billboard on the Anthony Wayne Trail. So there's some sensitivity, but um, it'll be five years this December that my um, spouse mm. abandoned the marriage. Um, and I was married twice before this, legally married, not sanctimonially married. Um, and um, so I want to talk about that, and I want to talk about how I came to fall in love with the Catholic faith. First, I came to know Christ in a very deep way when I was in college, and I had an evangelical, I guess you would call it a born-again experience, but mm. my real introduction to Christ was when I was baptized as a baby. Uh, and I spent 30 years as a Bible-believing, very, very Bible-believing uh, evangelical Christian and went through many denominations. And I'm a lawyer and a CPA and uh, amateur historian by college training. So I'm very keen on evidence, and my heart's very sensitive to evidence and truth. And when I hear things, my natural reaction is, huh, hmm, how'd that happen? Or why is it that way? Or who says it's that way? So, you know, as a Protestant, I would go read Wesley Methodism, or I'd be in the Lutheran Church, and I'd read everything Lutheran wrote, or I'd I'd read Calvin, and I, I couldn't I couldn't reconcile all these different Bible interpretations. Mm-hmm. And then I, I'd see the Catholic inversion and I'd see the Catholic lives and I was attracted to it um, in a mysterious way. So it was going outside the intellectual part. And I'll make this part of the journey really short, but it was John Paul II and Mother Teresa, the, the authenticity of mm-hmm. their lives. Mm-hmm. And I was in a Bible study with five other guys for 22 years every Tuesday morning wow. and, and watching their journeys and the dancing around different scriptural interpretations. <laughs> and as I began to find what I would call Catholic verses that I couldn't, I couldn't reconcile, mm. and especially in John chapter 6. Mm. And driven by truth, I decided to make it a project to go disprove the Catholic faith. Can you believe how arrogant that is? I mean, it's been I mean, tried and found wanting, but uh, give it a good yeah, shot. Yeah, but yeah, but see, I'm really smart, so I was going to disprove it. Two thousand so, years. Yeah, so, so in my arrogance, I went on that journey, and it, it, it soon became obvious that it was true. And if that's true, then wh- where can I be, honestly? Where can I live the Christian faith? 
apart from the Holy Eucharist and the Holy Sacraments that Jesus had founded. And by the time I was ready to come into the church, it was pretty obvious to me that my Christianity hadn't quite made me perfectly sanctified <laughs> yet. And then I needed those things. I desperately needed a, and longed for a deeper and more loving relationship with my Lord. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I came into the church at the height of the priest scandal in 2002. Mm-hmm. Wow. And many of my friends would say, why are you going to become a Catholic? And especially now with all the, mm-hmm. the priest scandals. And the point was, it's true. And I'm called to come in and help be a solution by mm-hmm. my witness. And look, if they let me in, um, then, you know, we've got, we've got the Catholic priest problem put in perspective. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I came in the church, and at the time I came in the church, I, I, had, I was not married. I had been married for 25 years in my first marriage, and it was— I'm on good terms with my former wife, and I had three wonderful children. I'm very, very close to them. And um, I do think that perhaps if if I was Catholic and my first wife was Catholic throughout that marriage with the power of that sacrament, maybe that marriage would have survived. Mm -hmm. But I was very successful, uh, very successful in my career, and I had been successful all through high school and college in pretty much everything that I did. And so not having success in marriage was something I couldn't tolerate. Mm. It was something I was definitely going to wipe off my slate. And I was going to make sure I had a happy marriage before my life was over. And God had another plan. Mm. So um, about four or five years after my first marriage ended, um, I remarried. But I had become Catholic in 2002. And the woman that I remarried, that I was married to, had been a lifetime friend. Uh, we, we had lived in different parts of the country since high school, but we knew each other for a long period of time. And she was Catholic too. But I would say my introduction to the Catholic faith came through Los Angeles and the Los Angeles. Is that possible? Diocese. Yeah. Of course, and, the angels, right? It's the right, spirit the city of, of angels, and and it was a very I'd have to say not not orthodox way of coming into the church. And um, we were encouraged by priests to live lives outside of marriage that were not holy. Mm-hmm. And um, when, we, when we talked to the priests, there was a priest that we talked to about getting married. And um, we really didn't want to go through the annulment process. Mm-hmm. But we were anxious to get married. And the priest said, well, I can't marry you in the church, and I certainly can't bless your marriage after you get married. I can't lay a blessing on your marriage. But if you come the day before, on Friday, to the Friday Mass, and bring your family and friends, I'll bless it before the marriage, because the canon law doesn't stop me from doing that. So he was trying to find ways to get around the Catholic teaching Mm. And I kind of knew it, but, you know, I was still had this Protestant option that I mm-hmm. wanted to do it the way I wanted to do it, and I didn't see anything quite that wrong about it. And uh, so we did. We married outside the church in a home by a judge. We went the day before, and the priest pre-blessed the marriage. Uh, and within weeks, that marriage was in trouble. Mm-hmm. And I knew why. I knew in the Holy in my heart, I knew that I had taken a pledge in 2002, a year before, 
at my confirmation that I would believe and follow everything mm. that the Catholic Church teaches. We all make that at right. the Easter Vigil, um, and I made that pledge. And as I got into the catechism and really looked at what we had done, I knew we were in an irregular marriage that was founded on disobedience and self-will. I'm not proud about that, but that's exactly where it was. And I was denying the very pledge that I came in to the church for. And so um, there wasn't any other reason for that marriage to not be working, but all kinds of problems came in. So I'm first here to tell the viewers that if you're thinking of getting married and you're Catholic, you can trust the church to do it the right way. And if you don't, there will be consequences. You won't have the loving, joyful bliss that you think you're going to have. So that marriage was in trouble, and it only lasted about a year and a half. Uh, It ended amicably, um, but it ended first by separation because I went to confession And the catechism teaches that if you're not properly married, your solution is to live as brother and sister. So I went to my spouse and said, "Um, we've got this problem, and we have to solve this. We have to go through the annulment process, and we have to uh, get married in the Catholic Church. And she did not want to do that. And so here I am faced, and this is I'm faced with this challenge of, well, now what do you believe? You're, you deeply love the person you're legally married to, but you're not married in the church, and you've made a vow. Who do you love? And I decided I love Jesus, mm-hmm. and I was going to have to follow Jesus, and I was going to have to take the shame and the embarrassment and the hurt of all that that I had helped cooperate in. And I was going to have to live with that. Mm. And so I threw myself on the cross and did that. And six months later, there was no resolution to it, and it wasn't going to be resolved. Um, so obviously, if you're not going to be married and annulled, you, you can't live in that state. So we had a disillusionment in the state of Ohio. Mm. And very promptly, um, a decree of um, annulment for improper lack of forum you weren't married in the right church. You weren't married in the church. It's not recognized. So it takes about five days to get something like that. Pretty straightforward. Yeah. So I never thought I'd be married again. I thought I'm going to devote my life to ministry and my business and my children. And I don't think I'll ever get married again. And But my heart was lonely and I was, I think, made, I think I was called to marriage. And that was one of the beauties of the Catholic Church was its teaching on contraception and morality and and. I think what happens to adult converts that come into the church, just like your baptism takes a while for it to be fruitful, your confirmation sacrament takes some time to have your second conversion or your third conversion to say, okay, now you have to give up your Protestant options and follow the church and test it. Test and see if the Lord is true. And so that I came out of that really with the desire that I, I really wanted to live my Catholic faith fully and completely. And then uh, it was... Can I pause you for a second? Do you have your train of thought, Jeff? I don't want to rob it from you. So you're not just speaking, you're hinting at this, and and, and I know you enough that it's implied, but you're not just speaking about a legal conformity or observance. You are fully acknowledging that there is a distinct power and a grace and a truth in the Catholic Church that you were coming to discover is exactly that. We can't create it. It created us. Uh, 
and your capacity for fulfillment in marriage is not just, certainly there's a obediential thing, whether we understand it or not, but you're giving witness now to the fact, and anybody who's listening who's not Catholic, this is not just jump through the hoops and you're good with God. You are attuned to the truth, the, um, the goodness, if you will, of, of, of the church's teachings with regard to marriage. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And not only that, but confession and everything else. It's, look, we're it's on an, yeah, we're on the anvil. We, we, I think you said it, Greg, we never really get fully healed mm. till we're on our deathbed. Mm. And we're never completely formed. We are on the anvil every day, and God, mm. in his great love, continues to work out sins in my life, in your life, in mm. our listener's life. And that's where we embrace that cross and say, look, I, I can't, any more than the priests and the bishops can hide from their shame, I can't run from my shame and my sin. There's nowhere to take it but the confessional where I'm finally and completely liberated. And when I am liberated, I can be the lover mm-hmm. to my friends and family and my brother and sister and to Christ himself. So um, a, f- a few years went by, and um, I desired feminine company. I wanted to have coffee. It's a great thing. Yeah, they're wonderful, <laughs> my goodness. I grew up in a family with lots of girl cousins and five aunts and I have a high love and respect for marriage and women. Love my daughter. Mm-hmm. I've got two little granddaughters coming uh, in, congratulations. in October and January. So uh, I love women. And, and um, I met um, Maria on Catholic Match. And um, she had had her own difficult journey. Her first husband had passed. And, um, and we had these long talks about we're going to commit to the Catholic faith. And we're going to, we're going to have a courtship that you can live chaste and obedient. And I want to tell, I want to tell people this from my heart. I want to tell and encourage people that are hurting with um, damage from the sexual revolution is he can restore the years that the locust has eaten. Mm-hmm. That's from the book of Joel. Love it. Isn't that beautiful? beautiful. The, the, look at that image of the locust coming in, eating all the life off the tree, and he can restore the years that the locust is mm-hmm. eaten. Anybody can become a new virgin when you make your commitment to Christ. Mm-hmm. And appropriately on, on the feast day of St. Augustine, mm-hmm. that we would talk right. about that, right? So, um, so we had this courtship, and... I thought it was quite beautiful. We were engaged on Easter morning at St. Rose, and we built our whole life around um, the church. Now, there wasn't, not to say there weren't problems, because any adults that have adult children and have been through, uh, Maria had been through two marriages, I'd been through two, um, you're going to have difficulty, and you have to recognize that going in. So, long story short, um, about five years of marriage, and Lots of rosaries, lots of prayers, lots of common pilgrimages and things like that. But there were, there were problems I won't go into in the marriage, and, and they became acute. And they came to a head, and I came home from work one day in mid-December, and the house was empty. Mm-hmm. The furniture was gone. There was no notes. Um, all the clothing was gone. There was literally an abandonment and a walkout. Mm-hmm. So I did everything I could to try and reach reach out that there was no response. Um, I waited an appropriate, what I thought was prudential period of time, and I went to uh, a priest, and the priest that had um, counseled us and married us and asked for help and got none. Mm. Um, 
it not only didn't get none, but was told that 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 sacrament probably wasn't valid, which I was horrified by and immediately challenged that. Uh, the The canon law says that every Catholic marriage is presumed to be valid. And so I challenged that and even said, you know, how can you doubt a sacrament that you participated right, right that you participated right. in uh, this priest is a very good priest he, I, you know he's a very 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 honorable and good priest but he's not perfect either mm. and um so not getting help from him i did the next best thing i i went to the deacon i went to one of the deacons and that deacon did help he reached out mm. and the answer was no i'm i'm not coming back to the marriage under any any circumstances whatsoever. I continued to reach out and pray, and I, I knew myself that I was at a point where one of two things were going to happen. I was either going to turn into a prayer warrior or an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. One of those two things was going to happen. So mm-hmm. I ran, my prayer life exploded by going to um, adoration uh, literally daily for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. I dropped out of all leadership of any, I dropped out of legatus, I dropped out of volunteer work because I didn't want to give scandal to the church. The things that were being said about me were based on enormous false witness. They were dragging my name, my character, my reputation, my business, uh, literally through the mud. And um, I couldn't understand this. I couldn't understand this cross that God was giving me. And it was, well, you've got the wrong guy. You know, I I came into the church over your teachings of marriage. And, and I did it the right way. And time. I did it the right way the third time. Mm-hmm. And now you're not giving me the cookie I want. I demand my cookie. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. two of them. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, the Lord said, no, I've, and um, so that's kind of the setup. The beauty of the confessional, one of the times that I went into the confessional and was talking about throwing the cross off my back, that this cross of failing marriages was something I couldn't bear and I didn't want. It was humiliating. It was harsh. It was hard. Uh, I cared for my wife. I, my honor Mm-hmm. You know, that was a big thing in my family growing up with a good name and honor. My honor was at stake. And then I remembered Jesus had all the honor stripped from him. Mm-hmm. And Can uh, I pause you a second, sure, Jeff? Because yeah. a listener listening is thinking to himself, let me get this straight. You married in a beautiful way in the church with every reason to believe and hope that in spite of imperfection that you would journey together the delightful mm-hmm. way God designed and it was mm-hmm. went to a priest and you you allowed yourself to receive that grace and sacraments we had you at our house a couple times mm-hmm. and prayed together and, and saw the beauty of that and then um, abandonment took place and again mm-hmm. imperfection and everything but right. nothing beyond uh, that would merit this right. uh, the deacon reached out to your wife, and she did not want to return to the marriage. Right. So, folks, you're dealing with a situation where where our brother Jeff is rejected. The last thing somebody wants to do when they're rejected is to stick around, or to stay in that wound, or to, to, to mm-hmm. maintain any kind of connection. I mean, the natural reaction is to recoil or run, or you say alcohol, or certainly... But, but the turn in your life is anointed by God's grace of your conviction... That you were validly married right. in the eyes of God. Right. 
And a little bit like Jose, just pointing out, you know, very first chapter, God says to him, go take yourself a wife with a little bit of debauchery going on there. For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. You're kind of becoming iconic of, if you will, what the church right now is experiencing. And I'm just wanting the audience to think about this, that marriage is iconic of the Trinity and the church. And we spoke before just that some of these common issues, you were, people were, uh, were, th- were throwing a lot of mud at you, and you felt um, your reputation being disparaged. And um, just before you go and, and share with us the beauty of that journey of staying true in the, in the mm-hmm. wilderness and the mm-hmm. brokenness of all that situation, mm-hmm. just a word, if you will, Jeff, on the crisis point of not simply commission but omission, dissimulation. Right, right. Well, um, what's going on in the homosexual problem in the church? is the, the catechism is very beautiful in, in its clear definitions. One thing I, that, that I love about, um, let me pull this up, that I love about the Catholic Church is its, it's, its ability to bring clarity. Um, and it, in the catechism of the Catholic Church and the Eighth Commandment, it speaks so beautifully about truth. And this, this was such great comfort to me. And, and it said that, that the Eighth Commandment forbids misrepresenting the truth in our relations with others. Uh, This moral prescription flows from the vocation of holy people to bear witness to their God who is the truth and wills the truth. Offenses against the truth expressed by word or deed, a refusal to commit oneself to moral uprightness, they are fundamental infidelities to God. And in this sense, they undermine the foundation of the covenant. And then it, it speaks further and it talks about up truth is uprightness in human action right so we apply that to marriage we apply that to our business we apply it to the crisis in the church right now it's uprightness in human action and speech is called truthfulness sincerity and candor truth or truthfulness is the virtue which consists in showing oneself true in deeds and truth in words and in guarding against duplicity, dissimulation, and hypocrisy. There the church is giving you the, the clarity of different types of lying. So dissimulation is I walk into a bar and I'm the best pool player in the country. And I get you to think I don't know how to handle a cue stick. And then I clean your clock and take your money. I have a life that I have hidden from you, right? Where... Where duplicity is, I walk into that bar with an NFL jacket and a Super Bowl ring and try to convince you I'm the NFL football star, which I am no such thing. Mm-hmm. That's duplicity. So what's going on in the church and what goes on in marriage, particularly on the feminine side, is the sin of di- di- dissimulation. I believe there's two great sins that have come out of the sexual revolution. One is male, and that is power, misuse of power anger, and lust, and they're tied in together. But our culture refuses to talk about the sins of the women, and that is vanity, envy, and dissimulation. Uh, The way women have broken men's hearts by lying and not telling who they really are and leading a separate, different life from their men um, has led men into great, great chasms of distrust of women. And our culture will not be healed because (laughs) We're only talking about the sins of the priest and the sins of the men. We have a very serious problem with dissimulation and lying. So to the call of God, in my particular circumstance, I went to confession, and the priest said to me, 
Jeff, the day you were conceived in your mother's womb, God had built your cross for you. And it was not one ounce too light, and it's not one ounce too heavy. And it was measured from the tip of your left hand to the tip of your right, and from the head to the toe. And you will find your love for God and your love for Christ when you embrace your cross. I came out of there um, understanding what was going to be required of me. So uh, it was clear to me that God had given me a mind that understood law, and I could read canon law and understand that. He had given me the financial resources to file what's called a libelous. Many people don't know the Catholic Church actually has a court to file a libelous, a complaint that I had been left under the canon law. You can bring an action to declare that you've been abandoned, and that will ward off an annulment. It could help to ward off an annulment. And that, that I had that call on me to do that, to defend marriage, because the canon law also says every man and woman has the obligation to defend their marriage. And I, I, I felt that there were three motivations here. First, to do this would mean um, for the repentance and the callback of the beloved. Second would be for an encouragement of those men and women in the church who had been abandoned by a husband that took off with a secretary or a wife that had a drug addict problem and left. And third was to defend my own good name. The canon law tells us that every Catholic has the right to defend their good name. And how could I come back into ministry and serve if my name was horrid? Who would want me to be a part of their board or a volunteer if, if my name was associated as an abuser or an alcoholic or a thief or all these other things that were said about me. So I hired the best canon lawyer in the country, and I want to encourage people to go to, um, 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 I'm trying to think of uh, St. Bay, Thomas More. Bay, no, Bay's website. Um, Bay McFarland has probably one of the greatest marriage um, consulates in the country, and it's um, if you look up the website, marysadvocates.org, and oh, the resources that she provided and the help and the insight. So I filed a libelous, which is a complaint with the Toledo Diocese. Now, I did some research and found that, um, I'm going to credit my good friend Bob Geiger with the statistics, that the United States is 7% of the world's Catholics and we have 85% of the world's annulments. Mm. Repeat that again. Let Seven, that sink in. We are, we are 7% of the world's Catholics and 85% of the world's annulments. The Canon Law Society publishes statistics on divorce and annulments granted by diocese, voluntarily reported. And I learned that in Toledo, um, in the years 2012, 13, and 14, which was the last time I looked, there were approximately 500 annulments filed in a three-year period, and there were 499 granted. So um, I took a faith step in obedience to God and filed the libelous and said, I want a trial. I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner. I've made hurtful, I've done hurtful things. I've said hurtful things, but I'm going to fight for this marriage and I'm going to bring the light of truth like we have to do with these bishops right now. We have to fight for truth no matter what the cost. And I had a wonderful spiritual director, a priest that I'm not going to name, but he was absolutely fantastic. And God brought 
people to help me carry my cross, my Simons of Sirens, mm-hmm. I call them, the two of you, my good friends, the McCartneys, the Geigers, and other, others in the diocese that helped. I was a broken man. My, my mother uh, yeah. died uh, five weeks after the, the marriage was abandoned. Um, my business was in disaster. It was 2014. The business environment was – I was just an absolute wreck. Mm. Well, we didn't have the new bishop yet. And so we now we had a empty chair, and who knows where this was going to go. But if it didn't go the right way, I knew my years in volunteer ministry were going to probably be over. And annulment would follow. And um, and in September of 2000, I believe it was 2015, um, the church came out after a trial and lots and lots of witnesses. Uh, the church came out with a 14-page um, declaration that um, the marriage had been improperly abandoned and there was no reason for it and that the witnesses that had spoken against me probably were not believable. And the church upheld the marriage, mm. much to the shock of many, many people. Many priests that I spoke to about this had never heard of this kind of thing. And my spiritual director said, Jeff, I think this is probably the only decree of its kind since Vatican II, maybe even in the country since mm. World War II. Wow. And um, all I can say is praise and glory to our Lord Jesus Christ that he gave me a coward and a sinner the courage and the guts to do this and that we have a diocese, that we have a bishop. Mm-hmm. We have a bishop that is standing for marriage, yeah. that is standing for the culture of life, that is standing for uh, the work that he's doing against, you know, se- the sexual revolution, that we we have a bishop and we have priests and we have uh, deacons in our diocese that don't deserve to be painted by the brush that others are being painted mm. with. So, so you know, that's my story. And um, all fairness to to um, to the church, when you trust the church— Miracles can happen. Absolutely stunning things can happen. Because it is, in the end, it's not the church of the bishops and the, and the priests. It's the church of Jesus mm-hmm. and the Blessed Trinity. Absolutely. Jeff, we want to continue to journey with you because there is a lot to yet unpack and for many to understand. And we do hope to have Bay McFarlane, who's been fighting the good fight. And truthfully, let's face it, um, the circumstances that we face right now in the church, a new atmosphere of transparency, yeah, a new atmosphere where you don't have to feel like you're going to be uh, disparaged because you dare to speak respectfully but honestly about institutional matters in the church. That's where we're at, and it's a good thing. We are not going to leave the church. We're not going to abandon Jesus for Judas. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to repent. We're going to keep seeking the ways the enemy is, is coming against us. So that atmosphere, folks, it, it should open the door to a respectful engagement of these sorts of deficiencies and these things. And one key one, and just as we're looking at uh, kind of coming in for landing, but I think a key thing here, Jeff, is that we come to the church with a confidence in marriage that it is Jesus Christ who uh, weaves us into the Trinity, husband and wife, Genesis one twenty seven, the image of God, and the sacramental grace that flows from that. There is a, 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 a beautiful, um, pronounced purpose of God's design for marriage that the Catholic Church fully understands. So when one is married, they ought to have confidence 
that that, in fact, happened. And yet, when 40% plus end an annulment, it's a declaration that that original declaration mm-hmm. of marriage didn't happen. Didn't happen. Mm-hmm. How do we understand that, and how do we work our way uh, out of that very tragic crisis? And I'll say, what folks, what is the crisis? It's that marriage exists to make God whose love known. It's that simple. Marriage exists... To make God, Trinity of Persons, mutual self-giving love, Ephesians 5, sacrificing self for the good of other. Marriage exists to make that God, who is love, known. And so the enemy is going to go after any icon or image of God, which we see happening in marriage, we see in sexuality. That's why this is a crisis, this annulment crisis, the ease with which annulment can take place. You could, you likely, I don't know if you disagree, but you likely could have gotten an annulment. Yes. So you were fighting more for the integrity of the church. Well, not more. You were fighting as much for the integrity of the church and her call as the bride of Christ to preserve marriage as you were for your own particular marriage. Mm -hmm. So again, back to my question, as you thought through those things, help us understand our situation and maybe how we need to be challenged to get to a point where one can have confidence coming before the church that um, indeed... Uh, they can be the fullest of living out that that iconic. Yeah, well, thing. what a great great uh, observation, Greg. And and I think here is that whether you're a, sec- a victim of sexual homosexual abuse by a priest, whether you're a priest falsely accused, or whether you're someone in my situation, um, the joy of embracing your cross is the final freedom. It's the final love. The final love of Christ for us is displayed in his bloody corpse on the cross, that he loved us that much. Uh, I am married. You know, it's not, oh, gee, Mm -hmm. well, I am married. But God had the perfect situation for marriage Mm -hmm. for me right now. Mm -hmm. He's forming me through my suffering here in a way that I can't believe how much service and help I've been to others over the last Mm -hmm. two to three years and what my prayer life has been. I wouldn't. Would I wish it on anybody? No, I wish it wouldn't have happened, but I can embrace it. And we can all embrace the cross that the church is going through, but we have to be courageous. We can't back down, whether we're fighting pro for pro-life or for marriage or for truth. We have to be brave, and we have to be willing to die, as John Paul we opened with. We have to be willing, literally, to be martyrs. Mm. And, and in that, we lose our lives and find great love for one another. Mm. So I think, I think that's the answer is embrace it, fight like hell over this thing, be true, be faithful, and above all, come and be a Simon of Cyrene for your brother and sister. Without the helps of my brothers and sister when I went through, I don't know where I would have been. Mm. We're called mm. not only to carry a cross, but come along beside those, including our priests and bishops that might be suffering, and carry it. And go after the ones that are the lying snakes of Satan. <laughs> So, Jeff, uh, you know, I think one of the key lies, what lies in the heart, and, and all of us to some degree, is this false notion that our desires are their own validation of moral correctness. I'll no. say it again. That what we desire mm-hmm. is its own validation. Because I desire same sex, or because I desire somebody else's wife, or because I desire fill in the blank, 
Therefore, I was made that way. It's my identity. I'm owed it. And, of course, the politics surround that and validate that and, and put the price, the consequences on everybody else, which is a portrait oh, of our, our, our certain political that's really, reality. That's powerful. So, so as you speak of the cross, I think, folks, where I, I go with this is the awareness that we're going to face our desires and the fact that we need to exercise self-control. And not just in our action world, but that Romans 12, 1 and 2 inner transformation of our hearts and our minds. I'll tell you, age 50, I'm working on that. I'm working on it hard. I, I don't simply want to have proper ethical uh, approach mm. to my wife and my kids. You know, and mm. my heart's been there. I don't want to dismiss that. Mm. But God wants my world of imagination mm-hmm. and memory mm-hmm. to be rightly ordered, which means healing, which oh, means yeah. transformation, which yeah. means that God, it, and it's possible, good brothers of mine mm. like you. And that's the beauty of the sacraments. Folks, that's the vision of what God can do. Imagine being free from lust. Well, Greg, this is what I love about you and Stephanie and your whole family is your ability to, to um, put your finger on the pulse of the moment. Mm-hmm. That's such powerful stuff you're saying mm-hmm. and sharing with the audience. And um, you, you're so right that I, what I found and what I have found in the church through the sacrament of confession, which I have to go frequently, is the healing of memory and soul can only come through that sacramental mm. power and the power of Eucharist. If, if Jesus really is the true body, blood, soul, and divinity in John chapter 6, then it is there where we are mystically going to be transformed inside our conscious and memory. And um, that's so great, Greg. It mm. really is. And it's, it's just, I want to thank you for having me here. And I also thank want to extend mercy to everyone mm-hmm. that's been listening. Amen. Folks, let's close in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord Jesus, we are fallen. We are broken. We are in need of you. And Lord, you allow us to be in that space that will seek you, radically seek you to be our supply, to be our healer, to be our lover. You desire great intimacy with us, Lord. We just pray for an outpouring of your healing, transforming grace in each of our hearts and minds and souls right now, overflowing to this world, that your kingdom come and your will be done. In your holy name we pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.